revelation. Going to places where a lot of people just don't go. So deep waters they may be, but we're in them and we'll continue on until we literally get the glory. <laughs> That's the way we'll work through it. Uh, so Revelation chapter number 8, and we will deal with the entirety of chapter 8 tonight, Lord willing. We're not going to be long, I don't think. I haven't planned it to be long, just because I'm so kind and considerate, because I know it's hot. So, nothing to do with just that's the way it worked out at all. All right, Revelation chapter number 8, and verse number 1. And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it up with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and cast it onto the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. And the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. The first angel sounded and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood. And they were cast upon the earth and the third part of the trees was burnt up and all the green grass was burnt up. And the second angel sounded, and as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood. And the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and the third part of the ships were destroyed. And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven burning, as it were, uh, as it were a lamp, and it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. And the name of the star is called Wormwood. And the third part of the waters became Wormwood. And many died of the waters because they were made bitter. And the fourth angel sounded. And the third part of the sun was smitten. And the third part of the moon and the third part of the stars. So as the third part of them was darkened. And by the day shone not a third part of it. And the night likewise. And I beheld and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven. Saying with a loud voice. Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels which are yet to sound. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, again for the opportunity to come together. Lord, I pray as your word is opened that you would just give us hearts and minds to hear, to understand, Lord, to uh, Lord, just be thankful as we read through the book of Revelation that these things are not for us, thankfully but lord there will be those that face them there may be even some that we know that this very moment are unsaved that we know and love that will be present during this time lord we know that you could come for your church at any time and lord these events are to begin soon after that event so lord i pray you would encourage us Help us, Lord, even though we are going to see some horrific things. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would remind us that even through these judgments, you are a gracious, gracious God. We thank you for your grace to us this evening. Immeasurable. 
unimaginable, all prevailing grace. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm sure you've heard the phrase, uh, silence is golden. I know uh, Tom, probably last night at 2 o'clock, or Mick as well, would have liked that silence is golden moment. Um, actually, the, the phrase comes from uh, speech is silver, but silence is golden is the complete, complete phrase there. And, uh, of course, there is a, there is a, 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 you know, a uh, fact to that, that sometimes it, silence is golden. But we left off last week, didn't we? We looked at the, the uh, seals, uh, judgments, the trumpet judgments following that that had been opened. We were introduced to the 144,000, if you remember, that we determined were not Jehovah's Witnesses. We determined that they were Jews because that's what the Word of God says, all 12,000 of each tribe. And we, we looked at that and we, we seen that and we seen that there was a kind of pause, if you like, where these 144,000 were sealed of God. And we talked about how that during this time, this tribulation period, that the conditions in the world and the fervency of these evangelists, I believe, will lead to the biggest harvest of souls that the world has ever, ever seen. Far more that have come will come to know the Lord in this period than have ever come to know the, the Lord in the church period. And it's funny, after, I think it was Monday or Tuesday, literally after preaching that, that I read on the news, there were an article in the news saying that the world population is, is going to officially reach 8 billion by November, is what they're saying, um, just as such the increase. So you think about that, you know, there's 8 billion people. You've got these 144,000 evangelists that are going to go out. They're, they're Jews, so they, they, they're connecting everything. They, they're Jews that can sit and look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, and they can connect every little dot together and, and put it all together. They have a fervency for God that is now complete and the understanding that Christ was the Messiah. They're uh, empowered now. They're sealed and they're sent out by God. 144,000 of them across the world. There's nowhere near that amount of uh, missionaries or evangelists in the world today that truly know the Lord Jesus Christ that are out there. I reckon the number is probably 25,000, probably 30,000, something like that. Now you've got 144,000. And you've had great missionary campaigns of old. You've seen this in the, in the, uh, you know, the beginning of the, the, the two Testament periods, if you like, when the church is born and the diaspora, the Jews are spread out. There's, a, there's a, an evangelistic campaign. The gospel goes out and it goes out to Judah, Samaria and to the uttermost of the world. And you know, the whole world, as Paul says, here's the, the gospel then. Here's the news of that. But there wasn't 8 billion people. Far from it. We live in a society where it's, you know, something can happen in the far side of the world and we can hear about it within minutes. You put all this together, plus the fact of what's happening at this time. The world's in turmoil. You know, there's a spirit there. Just like in COVID, when, you know, everybody was panicking the world was going to end. There's a, there's a, a, a swelling up in people looking at the things to the end. You know, why am I here? What's the purpose? Looking at mortality, looking at death and, and looking at themselves. So there's a, there's a peaked interest. You think if it was a peaked interest during COVID, there's going to be a peak interest after mysteriously hundreds of thousands of people disappear. 
And literally we have uh, these wars, this world figure comes into the, into the scene and starts to put his tentacles around the world and coerce it like some type of superman. Then we start to see, we've seen at the end of Revelation 6, these uh, supernatural events where we've got earthquakes, we've got the, uh, the uh, topology of the lands change. It says that the um, heaven departed as a scroll which is ruled together. Every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Something happens here where the structure of the earth, the position of the earth, the tilt, the angle of the earth, I believe, is changed. It's a, it's a, a cataclysmic time. This is truly the apocalypse. Now, the apocalypse, the world thinks this is about the end of the world. And to a certain extent it is. But apocalypse is from the Greek apocalypto. It means revealing or unveiling. And it's nothing to do with any of these judgments being unveiled. But it's to do with the Lord Jesus Christ being unveiled as the king. And he is coming back as king. But before he comes back as king... God has to pick up his program with Israel, fulfill his promises, and this is part of it. This is part of God bringing his elect nation back to him, and the 144,000 are part of that, and there are other tribulation saints that come to know the Lord through that. So there's a little pause there on earth, as it were, before the seventh seal judgment is opened. And if you remember the seals, do you click on that, Caden, please? Kieran? Thank you. No, he didn't answer me, so I can't see if he's sleeping because I can't see the screen. So, these judgments, there's three sets of judgments, and we talked about this being telescopic in nature, if you remember. So we've had the first six uh, seals that were opened. Ultimately, this begins, Revelation 5, when the entire scroll is opened only by the Lord. He's the only one worthy. He's the only one that can, can do it. He opens it. That begins the seal judgments. We've looked at this where we've went through the, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. We've got to um, the sixth seal, the fifth seal. And then we stopped. We went into Revelation chapter number 7. The seventh seal is yet to be opened. When the seventh seal is opened, that takes us into the next set of judgments and that's what we're going to begin to look at this evening so i began by saying silence is golden well we're going to see this evening that there's a solemn pause this time not on earth which we have in revelation chapter number seven but this time we're going to see the pause happens in heaven it happens in heaven look at verse number one revelation eight says, and when he had opened the seventh seal. So again, this is the opening of the seventh seal. This brings us into the next set of judgments. There was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. Now, there's a couple of unusual things here. And I kind of touched on this last week a little bit. First and foremost, this is unusual for heaven. Because heaven is silent. And scripturally, when you read about heaven, the one thing that you continually read about it is it's not a place that is silent. It's a place that is full of praise to the one who is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Heaven is Christocentric. What do I mean by that? He is the centerpiece of heaven. You say, well, it's God the Father. We're getting into Trinitarian stuff. But ultimately, it's Christ. It's Christ. That's, that's the centerpiece of heaven. He's the centerpiece of heaven. And, you know, if you turn back with me, we've, we've looked at this. Revel- turn even just in Revelation chapter number 4. 
and verse 8. It says, And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him. They were full of eyes within, and they rest not night and day, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is to come. They rest not night and day. Now, you have to understand that when heaven is in view, and we have these terms such as night and day, and we have these terms such as half an hour, they're for our benefit. They're not the reality of what's happening in heaven. Because in heaven there is no night and day. But from our perspective, the, the John, inspired by the Holy Ghost, is writing it so we will understand what is taking place here. That praise is eternal praise. It doesn't stop. It doesn't clock on and it doesn't clock off. The, the angels don't put their cards in, clock in for a shift of praise and shift out again. No, it's eternal praise. It says holy, holy, holy. When you see that three times repetition in scripture, the Hebraism behind that is pointing us to something that goes on forever. That's why you'll see this in Isaiah chapter 6, I think it is. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So that three time repetition points to his eternal holiness. And heaven is a place where his eternal holiness is eternally praised. And, it, you know, there's a, a myriad of music and singing in heaven. Turn to Revelation chapter 5, just even a little bit, uh, chapter on there in verse 11. It says, And I beheld and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand, ten ten thousand, and thousands of thousands. And what are they doing? Verse 12, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive riches and wisdom, or sorry, power and riches and wisdom, and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Praise upon praise upon praise. That's what heaven is. To the praise of his eternal glory. But when we get to Revelation chapter number 8. Verse number 1. We read there was silence in heaven. Five little words. Silence in heaven. And heaven is a place of praise. It's a place of worship. It's not a place of silence. Maybe this has been the longest silence that there's ever been in heaven. Maybe we could look to the cross and say that was probably another time of silence in heaven. Such was the magnitude and the gravity of what was taking place upon Calvary's cross. You have to understand, you know, we often, we often highlight that Jesus' physical sufferings when it comes to the cross. And we're right to do that. But... So often, sometimes we, we, we put the phrase in that he's, Jesus suffered more than any man ever suffered. And actually, I don't think we can truthfully say that from a physical point of view. Did he suffer? Absolutely he did. Was it horrific? Absolutely he did. Is there a possibility that there's others that have suffered worse? Absolutely, I think there is from a physical point of view. But the, the great pain in the cross is the spiritual pain. That's the agony when the Father turns his face away from the Son, we cannot fully comprehend that. Because we have only ever turned our face towards God. We were away from him, and when we turn our face to him, he will never turn his face from us. That's the eternal security we have as believers. We flip that round the other way, 
where Jesus, as, as part of the Trinity, as part of God, in that eternal connection between those three, never separated from that. To take that upon Calvary's cross and to be separated. That's why he cries out, doesn't he, from the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Certainly there's agony in his physical suffering. But the spiritual suffering that the Lord Jesus Christ endured for us, we can never truly fathom. So I would suggest that heaven was a place of silence at that point. But when we get to Revelation chapter number 8, there is silence. It says about half an hour. I think that's to give us the picture that this is, this is a long time. You think about it. We do at Remembrance Day, we do two minutes. And that can feel like a long time in silence. Once I was to say, let's do a half hour of silence. That would feel like a long time. And I think that's the point here. The point is that heaven, that is this place of continual worship, suddenly stops. Why? Because of the magnitude of what's about to happen. This is the wrath of God, the judgments of God being poured out. This is no laughing matter. This is no flippant matter. It is so serious that heaven stops because of what's about to happen. There's a silence for half an hour. There's a solemn pause. In verse 2, John writes that he saw seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. So here we're introduced to these seven angels who stood before God. So the question is, who are these seven angels? Well, truth be told, Scripture is silent on that. We can make some educated guesses, but we have to be honest when we approach Scripture that there's a good possibility that we might be able to identify one of these angels, but we cannot say for definite what I mean by that. Well, I think that one, personally, I do think that one of these angels is Gabriel. We've been introduced to Gabriel, the angel, before. So turn to Luke chapter number 1, verse 19. Again, this is the inference, I would say, that leads us to say that Gabriel is possibly one of these seven Luke 1 verse 19 says, And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel, that stand in the presence of God, and I am sent to speak unto thee to show thee these glad tidings. So Gabriel, we often refer to him as the messenger angel um, here at the incarnation. But it says that he's one that stands in the presence of God. So that's led some commentators to say that Gabriel is one of the seven. I want to say to you, he might be one of the seven, but I don't know that he definitely is, and that's okay. But I can point to the scripture, I can point to Daniel, where Gabriel's present again, and say that possibly he is. But again, when from reading Revelation 8, it doesn't definitely say. So again, we're, we're building by inference, and we have to be honest with the scripture and say, I, for me personally, I think that Gabriel's one of them, but I cannot definitely dogmatically say. And I think that, that that's okay to say that, and to be honest in that. So these angels, they're given uh, seven trumpets again. Uh, trumpets again to the Jewish mindset were always had a purpose. You know, it was a call to war, a call to the gatherness, a gathering, uh, any of the special occasions. You know, so what we're thinking about here is the shofar uh, blast, if you've ever heard that or listened to that. To be honest, I was going to uh, play one for you. I was going to download it off uh, YouTube and play it, but I got so annoyed 
as I, I went on YouTube and started to look at these people that think that the shofar has some sort of spiritual power uh, for the believer today. That, that, that Literally, I was reading these uh, YouTube videos where people were saying, play an hour of shofar, war music, and that'll keep the demons away. Uh, nonsense. That's absolute pure nonsense. It's, it's, <laughs> it's Jewish for a start. You want to keep the, the, the demons away? You want to keep the bad influences away? The word of God and the spirit of God end of shofar blasting for an hour. Nonsense. So anyway, I, told him that I got that annoyed by going on to YouTube that I, that I didn't do it. But you know the, the, the context here, it is. If you go and listen to the shofar, it does make a, a unique sound. And especially when it is blasted in terms of uh, you know, a call to war. You, know, you can imagine the, the, the somberness, the solemnness uh, to this. So you know, the Jew would have known what the shofar was about and what it was for. Uh, not for warding away spirits, but for calling to war or calling to gather the assembling uh, of, of the Jews or to a special occasion like some of the feasts, etc. Um, so here we find this solemn pause in heaven. And it is unusual because heaven's silent for about half an hour. These angels are given uh, the seven trumpets. And that leads us then nicely into our next one, the saints' prayers so we've had the solemn pause verses three to five we've got the saints prayers says and another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer and there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne the smoke of the incense which came uh, with the prayers of the saints ascended up before god out of the angel's hand and he took the censer, filled it with fire of the altar, cast it onto the earth, and there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. So here the silence is broken. Silence is broken if these prayers are offered up. And verse 5 tells us how that it's uh, broken, cast to the earth, and there are voices, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. So, first number three, first of all, I want to pick out just it says there's another angel now some people again some commentators will say that this is this is christ they'll, they'll say that christ is the other angel here and the reason they'll say that is because uh you know this angel's dealing with the prayers of the saints and we have uh only one intercessor between man and god the man christ jesus therefore it's him in view here now and I personally think that it's Christ for a couple of reasons, just in the, in the scriptural uh, language. Um, it says that this is another angel, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, pre-incarnation, when he appeared, was always referenced to as the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. Not, not just the angel, but the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. You want to, you know, it's worth doing those cross-references in the Old Testament. You know, in, in the burning bush, it's not just an angel that's there. It's the angel of the Lord. It's, it's important. But after the incarnation, there's no record of Christ appearing as the angel of the Lord. The only record of Christ appearing is him as Christ, the man in human flesh, in his uh, resurrected state. So, you know, I don't think this is, this is Jesus here at all. And uh, the argument is that, well, you know, nobody receives prayers other than God. 
But when you read the the verses there, you'll see that the the angel here is not receiving the prayers, but he has uh, done something with them and he is administering them, if you like. And it says either the prayers of the saints. What are these prayers? These are the prayers of exactly what it says, the saints. These are the entirety of the prayers of the church age and, and possibly prayers of the martyred saints during the tribulation age. That have been stored up and they've been kept ready for the time where God will avenge. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. And you know, I know that doesn't sound politically correct in this day and age. But sometimes I am able to sleep at night in the world that we live in because I know that justice will be done. I know that God will do what he has to do. So when we see wickedness and when we see uh, the world running the way it is, you know, if I didn't have that, if I didn't know that God was going to deal with it in his time, in his way, it would send me crazy at the injustice of this world. It would make me rage on a daily basis. Are people going to get away with this? Is the world going to get away with it? Are these secular uh, governments going to get away with what they're doing? The biblical answer is no, they're not. The answer for us today is wait, take our prayers to the Lord, and the Lord will deal with them one day in his way. So this angel, he doesn't take the prayers, he doesn't receive the prayers, but he does have a function in doing something with them. So if it's not the Lord Jesus, who is it? Well, Scripture's silent. Scripture's silent. Personally, with a bit of uh, sanctified imagination, just thinking this through. This other angel, possibly, I was thinking about this as I was studying this. Um, you know, we know that, that Satan, Lucifer, was the anointed cherub, right? We know that he was the protector of God's glory, that he was the closest angel to the Lord in terms of his position and his presence. Now, he fell. Taken from his position, taken out of his privilege. But somebody, or somebody, some angel would have took his place. Because the position wasn't done away with, but Satan as the angel, as the protector of God's glory, was. Because the angelic order is an order. So is there another angel that has stepped in that scripture is saying on that, that has took the place of, of Lucifer that he relinquished because of his actions? Quite possibly. Would this angel uh, fit the bill? Quite possibly. If Lucifer hadn't have fallen, would he have been the angel that would have stood before God and took these prayers to him? Quite possibly. So, another thing to think about, but nothing dogmatic there. Because again, Scripture doesn't say. But I don't think it's the Lord Jesus here. As I said, what is the angel doing? He's taking these prayers up. The language here in verses 3 to 5 is all tabernacle language. So the tabernacle, when you look at it in Leviticus, is modeled from the heavens. That means that there's something in the heavens that takes place that the tabernacle is modeled from. Here's what you're seeing. So when you look at the tabernacle and you look at the uh, golden altar and the, the incense there, the incense or the golden censer, the incense picture in prayer, we know that this is the prayers of the saints that are going up before the Lord. As the prayers go up, the judgment comes down. 
And that's what's happening. The silence is broken. Verse 5. And the angel took the censer, filled it with fire of the altar, and cast it to the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. And the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. So here we go into the sinner's punishment. So we've had the solemn pause, verses 1 and 2. There's been a pause in heaven. We've had the saints' prayers, these prayers that have been stored up through the church age and possibly through the tribulation saints as well, where God has been hearing, but he's been holding. Nothing's forgotten, nothing's unheard. All the injustices, all the things. Judgment is now going to come down. The silence is broken. Verse 7, we have the first trumpet. And again, I want to say to you that these things are, I believe, literal. Unless Scripture tells me that they're not, we keep literal. And there are points in here where there is something said literally that is then given a metaphor and allegory after, which points us to the fact that the original thought is literal. It's literal. And as we go through these things that happen, these judgments, we're going to see a parallel with um, the, the uh, plagues, ten plagues of, of Egypt. You're going to see five of them, I believe, uh, across, the, across the judgments. And you know, nobody denies that they were literal. Nobody will come along and say, you know, when, you know, certainly most, most Bible-believing Christians won't come along and say, oh, those ten plagues, they weren't real plagues. They were just allegories. You know, they were little stories or they were metaphors or whatever, but they weren't, they weren't really real plagues. No, nobody in the right mind does that. We get to Revelation and we have the same type of stuff. All of a sudden, no, they're not real. They're not real. And you can't do that with Scripture. You can't pick and choose. You can't pick and choose. You, the, the, the method you use to interpret Scripture in Genesis, you take through all the way through Scripture. And when Scripture tells you that it's, it's, it's not literal, then you, you go with that. But until it does, you take it as literal. So, what's happening here? Well, the first uh, trumpet sounds. Verse 7, the angel sounded and there followed here hail and fire mingled with blood and they were cast upon the earth. Does that remind you of any of the plagues that happened in Egypt? Yes? Yes, of course it does. Exodus 9, verse 18, 26. You don't have to turn there. You can look at that in your own time. So, it says that they were cast upon the earth and the third part of the trees was burnt up and all the green grass was burnt up. Uh, in the Greek, that word trees is, is fruit producing trees. So it's not just trees that you know, perform just the, the, the function of bringing oxygen and stuff into the environment. But these are trees that are producing crops, they're yielding fruit. And the Bible says that a third part of the trees was burnt up. Now, that's horrendous. When you really think about this, this is horrendous. No reason to say this is not literal. No reason to say it is not hail and fire mingled with blood cast upon the earth. And a third part of the trees was burnt up and all the green grass was burnt up. Such is the horrific nature of what's happening here. But even if you think about this, God still leaves two thirds. That's grace. That's grace. If it was me, it would probably have been the other way around. I'd have burned up two-thirds, left a third, or maybe seven-eighths and left an eighth. Or maybe just burnt the whole lot. But God is gracious. 
God is gracious. And remember who he's been gracious to. He's been gracious to those that we've read about in Revelation chapter number 6. That rather than when the first seals are opened, the four horsemen of the apocalypse come out. Rather than turn into God, man shakes his fist at God. Says rocks follow me rather than repent. And yet God and his judgments that follow is still gracious enough not to destroy the whole of the fruit producing trees. He leaves two thirds of them. God's merciful. Let's look at the second trumpet, verse number 8. And the second angel sounded, and as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood. The sea became blood. That familiar language from the Old Testament. Yeah, all you Sunday school people should know this. (laughs) Of course it is. We've seen it before. John says, the, uh, as it were, a great mountain. So he's being descriptive here. And he's saying to him, it looks like a great mountain that's on fire. And again, the commentators are, are, are divided on this. Some say, it's, is it a, a great volcano? Others say, is it an asteroid? I would probably lean on an asteroid. But either or, it's something that's causing cataclysmic uh, uh, effects upon the earth. The third part of the sea became blood. Verse 9, a third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died and a third part of the ships were destroyed. When scripture is talking about the sea, generally the reference is to the Mediterranean from the Jewish mindset. That's the sea that they were promised as a people. But the Mediterranean, if you think about it, it has so many uh, gateways and pathways for shipping lanes. If you flew over any of the, the great canals there, where uh, you know all the shipping trade goes through. When you're flying in, it's it, it's phenomenal because they look like little little toys, don't they? But there's there's hundreds of them, hundreds of them. I don't know how many pass across through the Mediterranean waters. But when we come to Revelation, we're in a different time period. In terms of, we'll see this when we get there. We haven't dealt with it yet, but we have a resurgence in Babylon as the commercial and economic powerhouse in the world and we're seeing we're seeing this area of the middle east certainly increase its reach and its foothold across the world you're seeing this every day actually where you're seeing how these strings and tentacles are going out and how they very soon will control a lot of the commerce in the world you know they're putting their oil money in left right and center i think aston martin um just recently has got uh the saudi arabians are the highest shareholder in Austin Martin now, um, 16.7% shares or something, something like that. The highest outside shareholder. Um, you know, it's happening and, and Revelation will tell us that, that Babylon is revived and it does become the commercial um, headquarters, if you like, of the Antichrist rule and reign. So, there's, you know, you have to add all these conditions in that at this point, the Mediterranean is, 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 is rife with shipping and industry and this horrific event, whether it be a, a volcano that erupts from the ocean floor or whether it be a meteorite that, that hits, it causes devastating effects. A third part of the marine life died. Now you've just had a third part of the fruit producing trees that have been wiped out. Now you have a third of the marine life that dies. And you think about the Mediterranean culture. 
And if you've been on holiday recently to anywhere in the Mediterranean, fish is a staple part of the menu, which is a nightmare. If you don't like, particularly like fish, which I don't, unfortunately. I wish I did. I've tried, but I can't. Um, you know, it's part of, part of the lifestyle. You know, and, and people live on this stuff. Livelihoods, you know, uh, tourism, just even basic sustenance, fish and sea creatures uh, form a huge part of that. So when a third of that's wiped out, a third of the ships are destroyed, the sea became as blood, the salt water turned to blood. It's devastating. You know, the, the impact of this ecologically and economically is, is, is on a scale that we've never seen. We're going into global recession. But when these things come, my goodness me, my goodness me. And that's only the second trumpet. Now you understand why heaven was silent. Here comes the third trumpet. Verse 10. And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp, and it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. And the name of the stars called Wormwood, and the third part of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. So here now, this uh, great star from heaven. Again, some commentators say will say they think this is an angel. Personally, I think this is, this is an asteroid, definitely, fallen from heaven. Fell upon the third part of the, the, the rivers. So here we're dealing with... Uh, the great rivers of the world upon the fountains of the water. We're moving from salt water to fresh water. Here, some, some, uh, the source of these waters is contaminated. Stars called wormwood. The third part of the waters became wormwood. And men died because of the waters because they were made bitter. Um, so men don't die just because it tastes bitter. But they die because the water is contaminated. It's lethal. So what's going on there? Again... We have to just use our sanctified, educated imagination. Say, if this is an asteroid, then I think there's a good chance that these waters are radioactive. I think that's possibly what's going on there. Um, But certainly, anybody that drinks of these waters uh, is going to die. So, you know, we've had three trumpets there. We've had the third part of the trees, third part of the the, uh, salt water. Now we've had a third part of the uh, fresh water from the rivers. And... it's not good reading. It's not good reading in any way, shape, or form. Fourth trumpet. And the fourth angel sounded, this verse 12, and the third part of the sun was smitten, the third part of the moon, the third part of the stars, so as the third part of them was darkened, the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. So again, we've got darkness. Going back to Egypt and the plagues. But what's going on here? What's happened? Again, you know, as we read in Revelation 6, when the world changes, when it shifts in its axis, everything changes. You know, this is one of the amazing things about God's creation. That that we run on, you know, precise measurements and angles, how the... The earth is tilted, how fast it spins, how far away from the sun it is, etc., etc., etc. All fits nicely, so we get night and day, this 24-hour period, 12 and 12, and we can work through that, and the whole calendar works through that. When these things are changed just a little bit, it changes everything. And what the Bible tells us here is there's coming a time towards the end here where 
the third part of the uh, stars were darkened, the moon was darkened, the sun was smitten, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. So you're going to lose a third of the day to darkness. You think it's hard enough to get things done with the sunshine that we have. It's going to be lost here. A third of it's going to go. Four hours of the day, it's going to go. There's going to be more night than there is day. And that's miserable. That's miserable. third of, of the, the fruit-producing trees have been destroyed. Uh, the, the sea life, a third of that's been destroyed. The, the shipping destroyed a third of that. We've got this fresh water that's been poisoned, these great rivers that have been poisoned. And now we're plunged into more darkness than there is light. Horrific. Horrific. You know, there, are, there are places in the world today that, that get more darkness than they'll get. Their, their winters are terrible. Um, but they're, they're, they're oppressive places. They're hard places to live. Um, you know, in certain, certain places, I think, I think it's in, so I want to say Scotland, and, and part of, some particular part of Scotland where just because of the highness of the mountains or whatever, the little towns and, and the dips and stuff are quite, it's quite dark, it's quite oppressive. And suicide rates, rains, are high there because the conditions are oppressive. Sunshine is good for us. You know, it's good for us. And it does brighten your mood. Maybe not when it's like, like this, but if you're British. But it does, it does brighten your mood. It's good for you. It's good for you. Can you imagine if we were in darkness all the time? I mean, you know, when we get to winter, how hard is it to go to work when it's dark and come home when it's dark? It feels like a slog, doesn't it? Can you imagine this going on? The world is in turmoil, absolute turmoil. It's not saying the sun doesn't shine. It's just saying that things change and it's not as long. So, that's the fourth trumpet. Then we get to verse 13 and we'll wrap up this evening. It says, And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels which are yet to sound. So we'll leave it there for this week. We've finished chapter number 8. We've had these first four trumpets and they were pretty bad. But yet we read in verse 13 and the angel flies through heaven saying with a loud voice things are going to get worse. Things are going to get worse. And we're going to see this next week when we pick up in Revelation chapter 9 verse 1 when the fifth angel sounds and the fifth trumpet judgment begins.